0: Good morning. We're continuing in 2 Corinthians this morning and let me mention at the outset that we're running out of text in 2 Corinthians. Uh, it's probably not going to take us until the end of the Sunday school year to finish that so we need to begin another study. Uh, my thinking is probably an epistle uh, that will give us enough to teach on through the end of the year, probably, eight or ten more lessons until we conclude the year. So be praying about that. I was just talking to Bill about what the possibilities were, but Bill and, and Brendan and I will get together and we'll uh, come up with something, but pray that we will uh, come up with that which God would like for us to look at next. So we're in 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 12, 10. Uh, this section is known as Paul's Fool's Speech. And before we read the scripture, let me just say that he uses the word fool here in a particular way that almost, maybe not quite, but almost makes it a technical term that he's using and applying to the way in which he is supposedly boasting. And we'll talk about that as we go through our discussion questions. But keep in mind his use of the word fool is a specialized use of that word. So let's begin by reading through the scripture. This is 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen 16 through 12, 10. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever else everyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received uh, at the hands of the Jews In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this remarkable passage that gives us some great insight into the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and it's also a lesson for us to learn that applies to our endeavors on your behalf, the same as it did with Paul. We pray that you would guide us now as we go through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. So, remember the word fool here is used by Paul in a particular sense. That's the term that he applies to these false teachers, these people that he calls super apostles who have moved into Corinth after he left Corinth and went on to Ephesus to minister there. And he calls them that because they were... Commending each other, they were commending themselves. They were puffing themselves up and saying, "Look at us! We're far better than than that." Paul was. Why on earth would you uh would you follow him and follow his instructions? He's weak. He writes strong letters. He sounds strong in his letters, but when he gets here in person, he's weak and meek. And you don't want somebody like that. You want somebody like us. And we saw a rather shocking description that Paul gives us of what those false teachers were like in their relationship to the Corinthians as we read through this passage. And we'll talk some more about that when we get to our questions. So Paul calls them fools for boasting for themselves. The only one we should be boasting in is the Lord himself, not ourselves. Not even other Christians, but we... We glory uh, with God and glory in him, and we boast in him alone. Now, Paul is, having said that, proceeding to do exactly what he said you shouldn't do. He's going to boast. But he calls himself a fool for doing so. His boasting also is special, and we'll talk about that. He's not really boasting about himself. Sounds like he is but he's really boasting in God. So we'll look at that in our questions. I sent you three questions in my email this week. If you're not getting the email, be sure to put it on the uh, roll as it passes around and we'll get you on the distribution list. Question number one is this. In verse 1120, Paul gives a disturbing description of the behavior of false teachers in Corinth. How does he describe them? How does he use sarcasm in verses 11 through 19 and 11 through 21 uh, in to call the Corinthians' attention to their tolerance of this unacceptable situation? So first of all, how does he go about describing them in 1120? Anybody? Controlling and pretentious. They're controlling and pretentious, yes. Uh, What else? Apparently, they were striking somebody in the face. Uh, That's a shocking thing for a minister of the gospel, so called minister of the gospel, perhaps, uh, to be doing in their relationship with those in the church. Here's the passage, for you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. So he says they have made slaves of them. They're very demanding in the way they ask the Corinthians to behave. They devour them a metaphor for they, they don't take, they're trying to take over their life and controlling them, I think is what he means by that. They take advantage of the Corinthians, they put on airs, they're promoting themselves, and then someone, at least one, was stricken in the face by one of these teachers that Paul mentions here. So not what we would think of as a normal church situation. And the shocking thing about it to Paul is that the Corinthians are bearing with that. And that's the sarcasm that he uses here. What does he, what does he say in verse 19? You gladly bear with fools. That's the super apostles. Being wise yourself. Now, you'll remember that the in our studies in 1 Corinthians and also in 2 Corinthians, we looked at those unique situations that existed in Corinth that caused the Corinthians to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Uh, They were unique geographically, located right there on the isthmus, so that all the traffic going north, south, or east, west passed through or near Corinth. Uh, They were therefore unique economically because that produced income uh, for for all of the traffic that was coming through Corinth and they were unique culturally because this was a unique mix of Roman and Greek culture there and they were proud of this and they were wise in their own eyes Um, and so Paul is using sarcasm here you're bearing with those fools but you know you're wise so what do I know about it and then he closes again he sort of bookends this uh, disturbing Uh, revelation of how they were behaving in Corinth in verse 21, remember the charge against him one of the charges was that he was too weak he did not have a commanding presence in addition to not being a good speaker and he says well they strike you in the face they make slaves of you but I'm sorry I was too weak to do that to you when I was there Please forgive me. It was to my shame. So a very effective use of of sarcasm. And then, of course, in in much of the rest of this passage, he's using irony uh, to, uh, to compare strength and weakness. And so Paul makes good use of rhetoric as he's writing this letter to the Corinthians. Second question. In verses 11, 23 through 28... Paul boasts that he is a better servant of Christ than the false teachers. What events and situations do he does he list as proof? In verse 1130, how does he characterize his boasting? So what things does he say in 23 through 28 that he gives as proof that he is a better teacher, a better servant of the Lord Jesus Christ than these super-apostles. Quite a long list. Yes, Chuck. Yeah, they're all things he suffered for, aren't they? Uh, He talks about his shipwrecks, his beatings, uh, and, and mentions a long list of things that normally If someone told you those things about their ministry, you would say, well, they're a failure. You wouldn't think they would be extremely effective. Paul was the most effective apostle, I think, that there was in that much of the spread of Christianity through the Roman Empire was due to Paul's uh, ministry. So it was a very effective ministry. We might say it was a supernatural ministry. Because Paul was suffering in all of these ways. Indications of failure, but he had great, great success. And this is not a boasting about Paul. This is really a boasting about God. So he says he had far greater labors, more imprisonments than those super apostles have. They probably haven't even been in prison. Countless beatings, near death, 39 lashes five times, beaten with rods three Stone shipwrecked, adrift at sea, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles, danger in the city and the wilderness and at sea, danger from false brothers, toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, without food, cold and exposure and anxiety for the churches. That's how Paul says, I'm a better servant of Christ, than these false teachers are. Mike.
1: I remember listening one time to R.C. Sproul say that um, by the age of 20, Paul had equivalent of two PhDs from his training uh, in his prior life. So he has the credentials, but his resume says, you know what, I paid the price. He sort of earned this role. I mean, he, it was given to him as a gift. Right. But from a human perspective, he's earned their respect and their trust. He hasn't just been on a cushy ride since he got his two PhDs. Right. He really earned their trust and their respect through his actions. It's really what he's saying here. Right. Like a resume.
0: And, and with those credentials that he already had, the credentials that really matter he's going to talk about it in a moment and that's the direct revelation from God and from Christ of, 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 the, of the gospel message that he received when he was called after the Damascus Road experience.
1: But God still used all his previous training to to, for a good right. cause. he did. It's not a waste that he got the training.
0: No, yeah absolutely again that's certainly true of. Uh, of all of us, when God works through an individual, He uses their skills uh, in order to to show His strength, even their weaknesses, to show His power through the ministry that He has called them to do. So the way he characterizes all of this is in verse thirty at the bottom of the screen there he says, "I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses." And the reason he's doing that is because that means he's really boasting in what God has done through him. So discussion question number three. Throughout First and 2 Corinthians, Paul compares and contrasts weakness on the one hand with God's strength or power on the other hand. And I gave you a number of references there that show this as being a major theme running through both of these uh, books, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And I ask you to look at that uh, so you get this idea of the theme and how that contrast is brought out by Paul. And then in 12.9, he gives a principle that explains this phenomenon of power from weakness. What does he say in 12.9?
1: God's
0: power is perfected in man's weakness. You're right. This is God working through man, specifically in this case, Paul's weakness in order to demonstrate his power. And so that, that's the principle here. Uh, we see, I'll lay this out in sort of a table format so we can see these instances in First and 2 Corinthians where there is weakness on the one hand and power or strength on the other first corinthians 125 talks about the weakness of god is stronger than men 27 god chose what is weak in order to shame the strong in weakness and in fear he mentions in chapter 2 but it's done in the power of god the ministry is in weakness and fear but it results in the power of God being displayed and effected. Uh, Sown in weakness in 1543, raised in power, talking about the resurrection. Uh, The resurrection, uh, the the, the body is sown in weakness, the resurrection body is raised in power. He says in 12.9, as we just saw, I will boast of weaknesses in order that the power of Christ May rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 13, 3. He says, I am not weak in dealing with you, but I am powerful among you. Now remember, they were believing the charge that Paul was weak when he was among them, but the effect of that ministry in weakness was of great power among them. They were saved, they were converted, and the church in Corinth grew. Uh, because of God working through Paul's weakness in establishing that church and the believers in it as uh, as weak as they were themselves, even though they didn't know that. Uh, he was, uh, we are glad when we are weak, he says in 13.9, and you are strong. So it's through his weakness that the Corinthians were made strong. And then, What's the principle that's given through that? That's in 12.9. We talked about it a second ago. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, What a wonderful thought that is my grace god says is sufficient for you uh here's this um this thorn in the flesh that god gave to paul he gave it to him because he had had this experience of being caught up to the third heaven and receiving these these revelations he says that he cannot speak about that no human can speak these things and in order to keep him from being conceited about it, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Now we don't really know what that thorn in the flesh is. There are many speculations about what it might be. I have heard weak eyesight. Uh, I've heard uh, sickness or illness. Uh, I've, I've heard uh, lots of different explanations for what that thorn in the flesh might be. Whatever it is, it was to keep Paul from being conceited because of the nature of this great revelation that he had directly from God in the third heaven. And and God he, he went to God three times and asked him to remove that thorn in the flesh. God's answer to him was, my grace is sufficient for you. I will not remove the thorn, depend upon my grace because my power is made perfect in weakness. So we see that played out in Paul's ministry, not only in terms of the thorn in the flesh not being removed, whatever that was, but all of these other things that we just looked at, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the stonings, the imprisonments, all of the things that uh, were happening to Paul were being used by God to display his weakness. Something we ought to keep in mind for ourselves as well, God's. Grace is sufficient for us. And when we experience uh, difficulties, hardships, trials, uh, various weaknesses, then God's strength is made perfect in weakness. God uses those who are not perfect. Let's put it that way. He uses those of us who are not perfect, and he perfects it in his power. Well, here's the outline for this uh, passage, three main points. The Corinthians bear with fools. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, Some bad stuff going on there, apparently, and they were putting up with it. Secondly, Paul speaks as a fool in 21 through 33. God gives a thorn in in chapter 12, verses one through 10. So let's uh, go through that outline and and look at the whole passage and see how these things we've talked about so far fit into that entire passage. First of all, Paul bears with fools. Uh, He mentions in verses 16 through 19 uh, his boastful confidence. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. And he says, since they're boasting, then I'm also going to boast. But as we've seen, he's not going to boast in himself. He's going to do just the opposite. His boast is in his weakness in order to demonstrate how powerful God is in working through him. In verses uh, 20, Well, 20 through 20, I I guess that's just one verse. Uh, The false teachers and their bullying. Uh, This is that description where they are taking advantage of the Corinthians, where they are uh, misusing them, where they are puffing up themselves and where apparently uh, they're not shy about if somebody doesn't do what they tell them to do, slap them in the face. Probably Jewish false teachers treating the Gentile believers that way, uh, willing to slap them in the face. And uh, that's an astonishing thing, uh, an astonishing revelation to think that they were doing that, even more astonishing to think that the Corinthians were putting up with it, and they were believing what they were telling them about the, the Apostle Paul and his failures and his weakness and the fact that we're much better speakers than he is so don't listen to him anymore, listen to us. And we wear better clothing than he does. He dresses like somebody who just came out of prison, uh, who's just been beaten, which, which he probably had. Uh, so they were puffing themselves up and at the expense of the Corinthians rather than building up God's church in Corinth. Paul mentions his shame in, in the first part of verse 21. He says there, to my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. Here's that use of sarcasm again. The he, he Paul throughout this section of Second of Corinthians uses the very charges of the false apostles to throw it back into their face. Here, by the use of sarcasm, uh, they're mean to you, and you're putting up with it. He says, let me apologize. It's to my shame. When I was there, that I wasn't that strong, that I could slap you in the face like that. Please forgive me for not slapping you. Please forgive me for not misusing you. Uh, so he's he's trying to call their attention to the fact that they're uh, something's wrong that they're putting up with people like this. Then Paul speaks as a fool. He says, "Anything that they can claim, I can claim too." And he goes through this this section here about his Jewish heritage. Are they Jewish? Well, so am I. Or are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Uh, and he, he claims that he is at least equal to them in verse 21. Uh, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool again, he says. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And this is our next point. Are they servants of Christ? Well, I'm a better one. Now you think Paul is about to boast in the same way the false teachers boast here. But he flips it around on them. I'm a better servant of Christ in verses 23 through 29 because of all of these failures Seeming failures and miserable happenings and imprisonments and stonings and beatings in weakness. That's what he's boasting of here in 23 through 29. And then in, in, in verses 30 through 33, he points out explicitly that he's boasting in his weakness. If I must boast, which he says he had to do because Uh, because of these false teachers boasting. If I have to boast, then I'm going to boast in the things that are my weakness. The God and Father of Lord Jesus is blessed forever. He knows I'm not lying. So he is boasting in his weakness in order to boast in God's strength. And then finally, in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 12, God gives him a thorn in the flesh. In verses 1 through 6, Paul recounts this instant of, his, of a vision and revelation, and those in plural, so this must have been more than one occasion that he received revelation from God. He says, "I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was called up to the third heaven. He of course is talking about himself, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know God knows, and I know that this man was called up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I would boast. Because I wouldn't really be boasting, I would be telling the truth. Anybody else in here old enough to remember the baseball player Dizzy Dean? Not Jimmy Dean, but Dizzy Dean. Yeah, remember him? He was a great baseball player, still holds some records. I think from back in the in the third nineteen thirties, I think uh, he was widely criticized. He, he was after he finished playing baseball, he became an announcer, and he was uneducated. He spoke like he was uneducated, and he loved to brag, and uh, and he was heavily criticized. Uh, they almost took him off the air because the the. Uh, Elementary teachers of the United States rose up in protest against him because of this awful language he was using. And he would boast about things that he had done. He'd say, I slid into third base, slid right in there, and they couldn't stop me. So he's criticized for bragging. And his, his, his retort to that was, he was a little bit mystified by it. And he said, Well, if you really done it, it ain't bragging. Well, Paul really did it. That really happened to Paul. It's the truth. So if he had boasted in that, he would not be a fool, he says, because it's true. I really done it, he says. This really happened, and God would confirm that to me. So uh, he's he sees things that can't be told. He sees uh, things uh, that uh, he can't repeat, and he refrains from boasting about it, And instead he goes on boasting about his weakness. He says God gave him a corrective for that conceit. And the corrective was this thorn in the flesh that we talked about to keep him from being conceited about it. And God refuses to remove the thorn in the flesh. Because he says, my power is perfected in your weakness. So. Everything God does is about the display of His glory. It's solely deo gloria, It's to God alone be the glory. And God displays His glory through all of His actions. So even these, what look like awful, terrible happenings to Paul, God is using those to display His own uh, perfections and His own power. So here's what I think we ought to get out of this lesson. It's, it's that, uh, that passage where God says exactly that. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Because this, I think, applies to, to all believers, not just, not just Paul. Paul, in a very special way in, in his calling as an apostle, but us, I think, in our calling as believers. My grace is sufficient for you, God says for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I think we need to keep in mind, uh, you know, it's the nature of life. uh, of this life, on this earth, that there are weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities that come into our life. And when that happens, I am weak, but then God is strong through me. God uses my weaknesses. God uses your weaknesses in whatever God has called you to do. Uh, the role that you fulfill within the body of Christ. We are all weak, but he is strong. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this lesson. I pray that you would take, help us to take it to heart and remember it. Uh, Father, you are a wonderful, a great, and a good God. And we thank you that we see over and over again your power made perfect in weaknesses.